How are we doing today, family? Are we doing all right today? Glad to be in the house of God. God's good, amen? Hey, listen, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us today. Sincerely, we're very glad that you're with us. Those joining us online for the first time, welcome. Our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love, family. Clap for them. Well, I pray that you were blessed by Dr. Don last week, and uh, today I'm going to close out our series on the topic or the discussion of a church that heals. And today, um, I wanted to spend some time with you as a family and talk about relational healing and maybe touch on something I hear frequently today, um, relational hurt and maybe even church hurt if we want to get specific. Um, over the course of the last two and a half years, uh, we've done our best as a, as a team to come alongside each one of you in a way that, that we can. And one of the things that has really birthed Care Plus, as you saw, something that our team has put together uniquely for our family, is we want to be able to not only resource you individually and come alongside you in the areas that you might be struggling with, um, but we also want you to know what the Word of God teaches um, in the area of anxiety and stress and marriage and parenting and finance. As Summer was articulating to you, one of the things that's been so fascinating to me is many of the struggles we walk in, we could often think God's silent on the subject, but He's not. He speaks clearly in His Word to us about how we are to live our lives, how we are to walk. But at the end of the day, he gives us the ability to choose. And I pray that we choose not just with, as some would say, a blind faith, just saying, I'm just trusting God, but we would know what God's word teaches us and that we would walk in it. Um, how many of you have relationships in your world that you wish were at a different place, that they're just not where you want them to be? I love, I, I love talking about relationships, and I want you to know uh, as your pastor, I have relationships in my family, relationships with friends, um, different people from my past that, that I wish were in a different place. And I often uh, start by asking the question, like, what could I have done differently? What could I do now that would better heal the relationship that I don't like where it's at? And as I rehearse, and I don't know how you do this in your own journey, but as I rehearse the situations or the relationships that I don't necessarily believe are, are in a good place, I, I begin to relive all the mistakes that I made. I said, man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Man, I shouldn't have sent that book on anger to them on how to deal with anger. I shouldn't have done this. I, should, I didn't do that. I'm just saying. Um, I probably should have, but I didn't do that. I, there's all these different things that I relive, and I'm like, man, what could I have done differently to make that relationship better? And I want you to know something. The Word of God does not instruct you um, in such a way to go around and fix all the relationships that are in your life. The Bible doesn't teach us that we're to go about and find all the broken pieces in our relationship in our own life and then attempt to put them back together ourselves. Many of us do that. We do it because we think that it's, it's what God often intends us to do and we think it's just smart to try to fix things ourselves. But one of the things that I love about Christ is he not only calls us to obedience, not only calls us to love one another, he gives us a pattern. He gives us a path to walk down in order to reconcile, restore, forgive, heal, love um, one another. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes this broad call to, to the people that are around him. And it's a powerful call. It's a call that, 
that really says to people who are weary, frustrated, overwhelmed, exhausted with where they are. And he does something very interesting. I want you to listen to the, to the language in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says this. He says, come to me. Come to me. This is the only time in all of the New Testament where we see these words in the placement that they are. Come to me. Where Jesus is saying to the people before him, come to me directly. And I believe that's never changed. I believe that has never changed, that Jesus' call to you today is to come to him. You're like, no, I've already said yes to Jesus. It doesn't matter. We are constantly in pursuit of Jesus, going after Jesus, running after Jesus, following Jesus, watching Jesus, listening to Jesus, knowing his word, walking in his word, obeying Jesus. And he tells the people, come to me. And people are like, well, why? (laughs) Well, come to me, all of you who are weary who are burdened, exhausted, tired. And he says, I will give you rest. I won't lead you somewhere else to find it. I won't tell you to go about this plan. I won't give you a five-step process. He just says, come to me. I'll give it to you. I'll give you what you cannot give yourself. I'll give you what no one else on earth can give you. I will give you rest. That's what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. You know what Christ is saying? And he says this often to the disciples. He says, if you love me, when you hear those words, you're like kind of leaning in. You're like, well, what does he say next? He says, obey my commands. Often when you hear that, you can think, man, there's there's a sense of, oh, we have to do it. You don't have to. You can choose to do it because you trust him and you know he loves you. And if you trust him and you know that he loves you, you'll follow in his ways because you know that he desires the best for you. But he says to those who are around him, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Walk in my rhythms. Watch what I do. Mimic my steps. Do what I'm doing. And if you read the context of this, many of you are familiar with this passage. They would take a yoke, which is, um, would go upon um, a bull and they would put it on an older oxen and then a younger one. And the younger one would learn from the older one. And the way that they would teach the younger one was by yoking them together. So there would be a sense of wisdom in one and a sense of immaturity in the other. But when they were yoked together over a period of time, the wisdom in one would be deposited into the immaturity of the other. And so there's a unique picture in that. If you want what he has, yoke yourself to him. It's the only way you carry it. Because some of us is like, <laughs> I just, I don't like that picture in my head. It just seems too restricted. Like I can't go anywhere. That's the point. <laughs> and the picture of it is, is I'm bound to Christ, bound to him, stuck to him. And it's only in that, that you actually glean and learn from the way that he does life. Many of us today, it's like, hey, I'll just watch. I'll just watch. You know, I'm just an observer. I just love watching Weird people, you know, and I just stand back and I just, I'll just watch. Christ says, that's not how you learn. It's not how you learn. It's not how you learn. Come, let me place my yoke upon you. You know what he's saying? Learn from me. This is what he says, for I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And he says, you will find rest for your souls when you're yoked with Christ. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Almost 350 of you have started a track in Care Plus. And I love it because many of you have been very intentional about moving towards Jesus. 
And that's what I believe with all my heart. It declares that the leadership of the house of God in Ephesians 4 should be to equip the saints for the work of ministry so the house of God can grow. And it's enabling one another to not only grow horizontally in relationship, but helping us grow in our relationship with God. And as that happens, we walk in greater wholeness. I remember um, many years ago when the Christmas season came around, our team does a great job of putting together invites every year for Christmas. And um, it was... I was just debating the effectiveness of like invitations. I was like, man, how effective are these invitations? I believe like the, the poor soul down at the Wawa down there, he's going to get 650 of these today. And he's going to be like, I oh, know, I heard, you know. And it's like, we're allowed to give them to other people besides the guest attendants at Wawa. But um, how do these really work? And then I remember one, it was a few years after that, I was running into people and I was talking to a group of people in the lobby and it was so strange because it was like person after person said, someone invited me to Christmas, someone invited me to Easter, someone invited me to Christmas, someone invited me to Easter and my family has never been the same. And it's, it's sad to say, but when you actually kind of step back, it's like when we do what the word of God instructs us to do, to proclaim the light of Christ, the hope of the world to a hopeless, lost world, you get to watch the Spirit of God restore, redeem, and eternally save families that sets up generations for generations for generations to come in a place that you can never do in your own strength, only God. And you say, well, God, what part do I play? You're just a hand of hope. It's a hand of reaching out to people that are lost and just saying, hey, come to church. And if they say, why? Just say, hey, just come and see. Just come and see. And I believe there's a season like never before. I believe this is not an ordinary season that we're in. I really don't believe this is an ordinary season. I believe God expects the church, his sons and daughters to step up in a way to express the hope and the love of Jesus like we never have before. Some of you are natural evangelists. You'll take a stack of cards as you leave today that are by the doors and you will fill your pockets and you will hand out every one. And then there's some of you who are like calculating. I can go one, two, I can do three. I can do three. And you go up there and you just grab your three and, and you're like, I can do three. It's like this person, this person. Can I just encourage you? Like, let this be a stretch for you. Like challenge yourself in this. Every year we say it and sometimes people just smile like, I've never invited anyone. I can't. You're like, just let me tell you what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. One of two things. You're going to say, thank you. I'll come. Option one, or they'll be like, no, thank you. I don't want to. That's it. <laughs> so I'm sorry to ruin the, the excitement for you, but really that's it. And then the, on the other side of it, God works in a powerful way. From the moment they pull into this parking lot, the spirit of God, which abides in the believer of Christ, I'm telling you, it inhabits this building, around the building. And when they come in, something supernatural happens in the hearts and the lives of people. And you say, look what we did. It's like, no, we didn't do any of it. We ran to Jesus. Jesus fills the house. The Holy Spirit dwells in this place. The scriptures teach that he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we lift up Jesus at his rightful place, the presence of God is attracted to it. And then it ministers and reaches to people who are lost and broken. That's what happens. It's just such a powerful opportunity for us to be the church, to actually be the church. And, and not only that, it's fun. It's fun to step out. Isn't it fun to do that? Some of you are like, the introverts are like, move on, please. You know? 
<laughs> Today, we're going to see 18 people get or I think more, I'm not certain, I think that's what the number was, getting baptized today after our one o'clock service, which is pretty exciting. Give God some praise for that. And you might say, why are you telling us about baptisms? Because they're part of your family, if this is your home uh, home church, and you call this family here, and I'd love for you to come and uh, celebrate with them and be part of that environment. There's something um, special when you can stand and celebrate someone else in their journey with Jesus. Just to remind yourself, I'm not walking this out by myself. There are other people walking out this journey just like me. In the culture we're living in today, the enemy has done everything possible to twist and distort and corrupt everything that God presents to us. He's done that when it comes to the sanctity of life. He's done that when it comes to marriage. He's done that when it comes to sexuality. He's done that when it comes to gender identity, all of that. The enemy takes, twists, corrupts, perverts, and distorts, and then tells society, this is normal, this is what you should believe. Matter of fact, if you go back over two years, almost at the beginning of the pandemic, you, you, the entire world saw the hand that the devil was playing. And it's his, it's his common play for society. It's isolation and fear. Isolation and fear. Those two combined are deadly to humanity in spirit. And even not only relationally, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, but even physically, they can cause harm. And so I recognize what happens in relationships when we choose to isolate, when we choose to separate ourselves from from one another. But relational reconciliation, forgiveness, healing is what God desires for all of us. Now, I want to tell you before I talk about reconciliation and healing, I want to just give us a little bit of perspective. Perspective. Can I do that today? Um, every Sunday when we have church, believe it or not, there are people who come through these doors for the first time, and this may be you today. Um, you have never heard anything about Jesus before. And some of you think that's impossible, um, but it's, it's very true. Our pastors talk to people all the time. They say, that's the first time I've ever heard about the message of Jesus. And they come in for the first time. They have no idea what the Bible speaks about marriage, finances, sexuality. They have no idea what the precepts of God are. They have no idea that Christ promises um, eternal salvation through the confession of faith and the belief in our heart. They have no idea what the Bible speaks about family and the husband and the wife and the children. They have no idea. They come in not having parents grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters that have taught them about God at all, and they come in for, to the church for the first time. You might be like, why are you telling us that? I'm telling you that to be aware of the people that the house of God, that we as a family are reaching. And that excites me so much because that's what the church of God should do. We should be reaching people who are not yet reached, maybe within their own families or communities, but the church should be able to reach people. And when they come in, demonstrate a, demonstrate a, a characteristic trait that maybe more than anything else is most important, and that's patience when someone comes in. Patience. Everybody say patience. Now, I know um, I, have a, well, I have some children, four children now, and um, we were over at my mother's, and she looks at me at the one point, she goes, they were... I'm not going to tell you the child's name. I'm going to spare her. But they're like, um, they are just like you. And I didn't know what to say other than, Mom, I'm really sorry, you know? Because it's kind of like that, that realization that when you were a child, you were a pain in the butt. 
And like your parents just had, a, just had to exercise patience on a daily basis. And now they get to watch you do it. And they just give you that eerie smile. Just, you know, it's like full circle type thing. And, and one of the things I realized, I'm so grateful for not only my parents' patience towards me, but I'm so grateful for the patience that God had towards me. The Bible says that his patience leads us to a place of repentance. He gives us time. He's patient with us. When we're arrogant towards him and say, I don't need God, I'm good. I have, you know, I have a retirement. Well, you did, but you know, some of us have, have a home and we have a car and we have all this stuff that we put our equity in. And then we say, well, I don't need you, God. And then you come to a place because God has had patience with you and you recognize, no, I desperately need God. And the Bible says he doesn't criticize you. He doesn't scold you. It says he's faithful, faithful to forgive those who call upon his name. And he says, welcome into the family. His patience leads us to repentance. And that's the nature of God. And I'm telling you that because I believe that's something we should carry as a family. In this season, make sure that we have realistic expectations. And I don't say it in such a way to diminish the expectations that you should have of leadership within the church. Have you, have you, ever, heard, um, have you ever been in a conversation and someone has said to you, you know, I'm experiencing church hurt. A pain from church. The truth is, though it happens within the church, what they're really telling you is they've had relational discord and it's caused them serious anguish and pain. And I would be lying to you if I told you that's never happened to me. For some reason, it always hurts more when you are wronged in a place where you believe in your heart that you should find healing. And then when you get hurt in a place where you believe you should be, where you should find healing, you almost have a higher level of judgment towards that place. And people say, oh, I don't want to ever go back there. That place is filled with hypocrites. And then I'm like, well, wait, I'm, that's me sometimes, you know. And all of us are broken pursuing a perfect God, but we need to recognize that there's people that are here today that maybe even have reason to have a sense of hurt and pain because of what has transpired to them. But I want to help you today walk in freedom. I want to help you today in what the scripture teaches us about how to kind of take responsibility for our own hurt and our own pain and how to build a bridge for reconciliation and wholeness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're bringing your tithe. It's a significant thing to God. It's saying to God, you are first. I'm honoring you with my wealth. I'm being generous and obedient to your word. If you're bringing your gift to the altar of God and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. Don't even give it. Leave it there. Just put it down. Leave it there and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. And when I read that, I, I, I see the heart of God saying, it's not so much what you do for me as much as how you are reconciled and in relationship with other people. And so he says, I know some of you, you have relationships that aren't right. Reconcile. You know what that means? It just means to make peace, just to make peace. And growing up, um, my, mo my mom and my father would always tell me, my mother and my father, they'd always say, hey, listen, you know, just apologize. And I would say to them like, mom, I did nothing wrong. And now, most of the time I did do something wrong. But for the few times I didn't, I was like, I'd really stand my ground. I'd be like, this time, mom, I promise it was not me, you know? And I should not. And it was just a principle in our home. You just, forget, you just go reconcile, make right. 
It's like, what does it mean to make right? Just say you're sorry. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, mend the broke. That's what they were teaching us as children. Mend the brokenness in the relationship. And then we would say, well, it's not me. It's them. They say, no, you be the first. You be the first. You remove any barrier that can prevent reconciliation from happening. Do you notice they're not telling? My parents never, they never taught us the depth of these principles. They just demonstrated them. And that's the greatest way for you to catch these things. Some of the principles in the scriptures are better caught than they are taught. And I can tell you that like if someone says, hey, you should forgive. I'm like, I don't really know. Well, if I didn't get the witness, my father asking forgiveness because he might have said something to my mother or to another child. It was probably me. And then he says, listen, come here, family. I have to apologize. I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible instructs. If that wasn't demonstrated for me, I wouldn't know how to do it in my own family. And so for many of us, the reason the context of relationship is so important is it helps us learn from one another how to actually walk out God's ways in relationships with one another. Some of you, you have to make a call today. You have to, you have to get on the phone with someone. You have to get coffee with someone. And you just have to remove any barrier in a relationship that could prevent reconciliation. I'm not telling you that you are solely required to reconcile and to fix everything in the relationship. But I believe that God wants us to do our part, our part, so that our hearts are right in the relationship. So when he heals the heart of the person on the other side of the relationship, there's nothing obstructing them from coming back and restoring what God desires and wholeness of relationships. Does that make sense, family? And that's what I believe God desires, to leave it at the altar and to reconcile with them before you bring your gift back. Sometimes we may think that God desires us to do things for him more than he desires us to make right the wrongs with other people. But God doesn't desire us to just do things for him and neglect the people that he's placed around us. I remember saying several weeks ago that time alone is not the answer. And I believe that. I believe that time doesn't naturally in and of itself as, it's, as an independent ingredient heal and resolve bitterness, anger, frustration in relationships. But it can help. But I believe that if we do our part we extend a hand of love and patience and we demonstrate that we're here ready to reconcile, I believe that God can use it and God can restore relationships in such a way. Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse five through six, he says that may the God who gives endurance, the God that gives endurance. How many of you feel like you're in a relationship sometimes that you just, you wanna quit? You wanna quit the relationship and it may not be, it doesn't have to be your marriage. It doesn't have to be your relationships with those siblings. It could just be the relationship with your boss, your coworker, your best friend. And you're just like, man, I'm so mentally, emotionally exhausted. I just want to, I just want to quit. And I believe this is one of the things that God teaches us as we are bound together in a spiritual family. He teaches us that through the strengths and through the weaknesses of others that we become better as a whole. We become healed as a whole. And one of the fascinating things about maybe you could say doing church is that you'll never find complete wholeness if you try to do it from the peripheral. You're always trying to look from the outside. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. That's exactly how I did church for a really long time. I remember when I went to seminary down um, in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I remember like I would sit as far away from the, the auditorium, as, uh, the stage as I could. So I'd be all the way in the back. 
up there where you guys are, all the way back. And I would be as far back as I could. Now, they're the best seats, by the way. And I would sit all the way back there, but I usually would sit with my arms crossed just in a posture of like, you know, what? <laughs> and I, just being honest, I, I almost was like, what, what, are you, what are you gonna change in my mind? I was so ignorant to the fact that it's less about what happens on this platform and more about what happens in your heart before God. Because by the way, you don't stand before me at the end of this life, you stand before him. And the only thing that we desire to do is to equip you for what that moment when you stand before God. And that first question he's gonna ask you is, what did you do with Jesus? It's all he's gonna ask. It's the first question before any, any crown jewels are given to the people of God. He's like, the first question is, what did you do with my son Jesus? I thought he was a good idea. I, I thought it was organized religion. I thought whatever you did with it, that'll determine your next step. Whether eternal salvation with God the Father or eternal separation separated from him. What do you do with Jesus? And I didn't realize that I always thought church was about like just going through the motions. I just have to do this and I have to do this step and I have to do this step. Really, when you hear next steps in the life of this house, there's always a next step. You know why? Because as long as you have air in your lungs in this place, on this planet, we're always going to be walking towards Jesus. Always. There's always a step towards Jesus. There's always movement towards Jesus. But he doesn't call you to do it alone. He calls you to do it with one another together as a family. And I love what Paul writes because, man, I've, I've fielded so many questions. Like, they're just strange questions, but they're good questions, I guess. But especially through this season of the, the, the pandemic and everything, and, and maybe even prior to that, people were like, well, do I really need to go to church to be part of the church? And if you were to do a word study in the New Testament and, and highlight every time that the scriptures say one to another, hundreds of times you can't fulfill any of it apart from the word apart from the body of God I believe with all my heart that you can be redeemed justified eternally saved wherever you are in your journey but I believe your wholeness and your fulfillment and your purpose is found connected and planted in the house of God and it's not just doing things with for God. It's walking in a journey with one another. It's how you find healing and wholeness. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and I love this because <laughs> he paints a pretty compelling picture of what the body of Christ looks like. He says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I don't need you. And this is fascinating because what Paul's saying is you can't say to anyone else in your own perception of them, I don't need you. I don't need you. I have a family. I have a spouse. I have people that I don't need you. Paul said, you can't say that. You, God has placed each one of us where we are for such a time as this in the season we're in. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. He continues a few verses later. He says, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. Scripture says we rejoice with those who are rejoicing and we mourn with those who are mourning. A great sign of a family that loves one another is when one person in the family gets complimented, honored. You want to figure out the context of an environment? Don't look at the person getting honored. Look at the faces of everyone else around them. This sense of jealousy, disdain. Well, I should have got it. Why did they get it? Or do you see eyes of people saying, come on, that's awesome. That's my brother, that's my sister, and I'm going to honor them and love them. That's a house of doing life together. Many of you, um, if you've attended weddings, you'll, you'll hear the pastor talk about 1 Corinthians 13. It has a lot to do with love, but many of you might not understand the contextual placement of it in the scriptures that it comes right after talking about the body of Christ meaning the placement you and I find in the body of Christ. So this whole depiction of love is really the way that you and I should see one another. Jesus says this in, he says in John chapter 13, verse 35, actually it's in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another the way that I, Christ is saying this, have loved you. No longer, the reason it was a new command because the old command was love one another in the way that you love yourself. But what happens if you don't love yourself? What happens if you don't care about yourself? So the new standard was, listen, I set the standard, Christ is saying. Love each other the way that I have loved you. Romans 5, 8 teaches us that God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of heaven towards us. And Christ is saying, that's the standard of love. That's a powerful expression. But what he says in verse 35 messes me up maybe more than what he says in verse 35. In the previous one, he says in verse 35, he says, by this, meaning the way you love, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone around in the world will know. It's not the True North Magnet, though they're cool. It's not the fact that you post stuff on your social media, though that's cool. It's not the fact that you, you know, you make sure you pray as loud as you can when you go out in public over your meal. It's not because you can quote everything in Scripture and all that. No, he's saying, listen, the real gem, the real crown, the real significant thing that people know your followers are, it's almost like he's saying, you know what I'm most proud of? You know what I'm most impressed by? I'm most like, oh, this is my family, is if you love one another. That's what he tells us. If you want to be known as a follower of Christ, it's one thing to say, well, I know what the Bible says, and I know what this says, and I know the Hebrew and the Greek. I know it all. You could know everything in the Word of God and not show an ounce of love to the people in front of you and behind you. And Christ is saying, listen, if you love me, just do what I say. Let it be. Let it Let it be demonstrated in your actions and not to just those who are outside of the house, but to those within it. And I believe at times in my journey, sometimes the people in the home are the hardest to love. Can somebody say amen? (laughs) Please? No. It's because we're close to them. We take one another for granted. We look at each other as common and ordinary. We forget the gifts that God has blessed us with. My friends, 
The way that the enemy works is he wants you to forget in your journey with God that you are blessed and highly favored, that you have received great gifts from heaven, that you, that you have a God that loves you and cares about you. He wants you to forget about it so that you view every blessing around you as common and ordinary. Because if you view the blessing as common and ordinary, you'll look at the one who gave them to you as common and ordinary. It's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Don't allow him to do it. Every blessing in your life, thank God for it every day. Pray about it every day. Say, God, I thank you for my spouse, for my family, for this church, for the blessings that you've blessed me with. And though things are not where they, I desire them to be, I will give you praise regardless. That's a, that's a perspective to say, God, I'm going to choose to see you in the midst of all the chaos that I live in. Can you say amen? <laughs> my mother put this, I said this to you in the past, but growing up, five boys in the family and three girls and my mother <laughs> this is clever but she would always rotate the verses that she put above our toilet in the boys room and um, she always would leave up this one verse in Ephesians chapter 4 it would say do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths like oh mom come on get another verse you know to come back up there don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. Stop telling people that the broken relationships will never be restored. God never asked you to restore them. He asked you to trust in him that he would restore them. You do your part in it, you leave the rest to God. So, so many times we determine the outcome of something that has not yet transpired. Some of you are like, I'm not even going to bother. I know the outcome. You're like, yeah, but you haven't done it yet. Well, I have in the past. Today's a new day. His mercies are new. His grace is new. Trust in the Lord and the relationships that are in your life. We've been praying for you in this season as a team and as a staff, praying for your marriages, for your families, for your friends. We've been praying that God would do a supernatural work amongst this family here at True North, that he would bind us together in a supernatural way so that we can fulfill this call to love one another the way that he's loved us. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes and let me pray for you. The scripture teaches us that sin, sin's a cancer. It's a cancer. It, it destroys everything good. But God sent his son to redeem and to heal that cancer. Some of you might be here today and say, okay, I understand the principle of sin, but I'm a good person. Your standard of yourself is admirable, but it doesn't matter to the eyes, through the eyes of a perfect and holy God. His standards are above ours. They're beyond ours. And the Bible says that upon your birth, you had inherited sin, and sin is the very thing that separates you from God, separates you from him. You may not know this, but you were designed and created by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The scriptures say that he knew you before you were formed in the womb of your mother. The love that comes from heaven, quite frankly, is beyond my ability to articulate with words. But it describes the love from heaven in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet still sinners, still separated from God, he gave of his life for us. And that's what it means 
to, to walk in that love, to receive that love. That's the picture of love from heaven to humanity. And the Bible teaches and instructs us that if we will come to a place and recognize that we can't save ourselves, that sin separates us from God. But if we call on the name of God, we confess with our mouths and we have a belief in our heart that God did what he said he did, that he raised Christ from the grave, we will be saved. And you'd be like, saved from what? Saved from the ramifications of the sin that exists in your life. Some of us view this and we say, oh, it's just a simple prayer. It's not a simple prayer. It may be simple on the outside, but it is significant. It is powerful. Nicodemus is a character in the New Testament who talked with Jesus. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I've come to to deal with the hearts of people. I've come to deal with sin. Everyone must be born again. And he's like, I don't understand. Everyone is born physically, but everyone who wants to spend eternity in heaven must be born again. And he's saying to Nicodemus, you must deal with sin. And Nicodemus is asking, well, how do they do that? What do they say? What do they do? What do they have to give? All these things. He says, it cannot be earned. It can't be purchased The Bible teaches that all of us, Jesus declared to people, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, and he's the only way to the Father in heaven. And we live in a world that tells you there are many ways to the Father, but yet there is one in our scriptures who defeated sin and death and is alive today, who gave of himself and shed his blood so that you could find salvation through him. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It teaches us that God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but rather to provide salvation to you through Christ Jesus. And so here you are today, sitting in this place, watching online, and you're, you're wrestling with yourself saying, should I say yes to God or should I keep going? And this is the nature of our God. This is the love of a God. He doesn't force you to say yes. That's not love. He offers you the opportunity to spend eternity with him, to give of yourself, to confess that you are a sinner and repent of your sins and to call on the name of Jesus. The Bible teaches in Ephesians 2.8 that we are saved by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. It means that you can't, but God can. And so no matter how you view yourself today, no matter how you think of yourself, you need to know that you are fearfully made and you are loved by God. And nothing that you've done can separate you from the love of God. The Bible teaches that if we confess our sins before God, that we declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, that we'll be a child of heaven. Everything changes, my friends. When you say this prayer, everything changes. The Bible teaches that you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. When you stand before God in heaven and he sees you, he does not see you in your brokenness, in your shame, in your addiction, in your your sorrows, in your loss. He sees you covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, saved and redeemed by the finished work of Jesus, a child of heaven. You say, well, how do I do that? My friend, it's as simple as saying a simple prayer. And we're going to say it right now as a family. True North family, come on, help me lead people to Jesus. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear heavenly father, I receive your son, Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin in the grave. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. True Lord family, come on, clap for everybody that said that.
Come on, really celebrate with them. Hey, listen, before you leave today, if you said yes to Jesus in the lobby, you're going to see people waving these Bibles. It's a gift from our family to you. We want to help you in this journey with Jesus. You can't do this life alone. So make sure you stop and you see someone. Let them know that you said yes to Jesus. We want to celebrate with you. So come on, Trinor family, stand to your feet. Let me pray a blessing over you and your family. Will you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray over you. Father God, I thank you for this family, for this house. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would go with us this week. Be in our conversations. Holy Spirit, help us to guard our tongue. May no unwholesome talk come from our mouth. Father, may we speak of words of faith and hope and love and encouragement to one another. May we stop looking at what we cannot accomplish in our own strength and telling God that it cannot be done. For nothing is impossible for you. Father, I pray that this is a week of radical change inwardly. Father, that you would do a work in our hearts and the relationships around us. May we just do our part and may we expect you to do the supernatural. God, go with us as we go this week. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray in a faithful church said, amen. God bless.